Hey wrestling fans, this is Ray Russell along with Steve Ekstadt and this is a very special episode of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and WCNN. Steve, I appreciate you being here with me this week. I would like to say I'm happy to be here, but uh, not under these circumstances by no means. Understandable. And it wasn't all that long ago that we were here doing a special like this on the legendary Bullet Bob Armstrong, and unfortunately we're back this time to discuss the untimely passing of Road Warrior Animal at age 60. Born Joe Laurinaitis in 1960, one of three brothers, Animal was the first to break into professional wrestling, the others being John Laurinaitis, uh, Johnny Ace, and Mark Laurinaitis, who wrestled in the late 80s and early 90s under the name The Terminator and later on as Fury of the Wrecking Crew. Animal also had a son, James Laurinaitis, played eight years in the NFL, spent seven years with the Rams, and then finished his career off in the Saints. I just wanted to jump on here and take a, a semi-brief look at Animal's career in the business, and then maybe share a few memories we both have of the Legion of Doom, or Animal in particular. The now infamous story goes, as most probably already know, Animal was discovered by a legendary wrestling trainer, Eddie Sharkey, and later also Ole Anderson. Animal was working as a bouncer in a bar up in Minnesota. I think it may have been the Grandma B's bar. But he was brought down to Georgia eventually and gave the business a try. Animal got his start as a singles wrestler, a jean vest-wearing biker character simply named the Road Warrior for Georgia Championship Wrestling at the tail end of 1982. That wasn't working out so well, but lucky for him, he would soon be paired with a familiar face who would become known as Hawk. And collectively, they were named the Road Warriors, being given the names Hawk and Animal by their now manager, Paul Ellering. And other than a brief angle where the roadies split from Ellering while in Georgia, Paul acted as their on-screen manager and in many ways their off-screen manager as well for the next seven years. The two men debuted in Georgia dressed in leather-clad biker outfits, which I liken to the village people look, and I think I've even heard Animal mention that in a shoot interview to it somewhere as well. So the roadies, knowing they needed to change up their look, uh, went and painted their faces, shaved their heads into unique mohawks, and eventually adopted the spiked shoulder pads they've become known for. The rest, as they say, is history. The team took off like a lightning bolt, working in Georgia and Florida and Memphis. I still remember the match with Waller and Austin Idol. Uh, the Mid-South and other places within their first year in the business. Everybody wanted a piece of the roadies on their shows, and because of their popularity, Hawk and Animal were pretty much able to keep from having to make an exclusive deal with any one promotion. And something similar to Andre, where they were pretty much able to make their own schedule as long as it didn't conflict with the main office bookings. And over the next couple of years, they continued to work all of the southern territories, but they expanded into Canada, the Montreal area, and began their annual tours of the All Japan Pro Wrestling Company. Of their many regional titles, they would capture the first world tag team title, Gold, in the AWA in August of 1984, defeating the legendary but aging team of Da Crusher and Baron Von Raschke. The duo go on to hold the belts for over a year before losing the following year in September of 85 to Mr. Electricity Steve Regal and Jimmy Garvin, thanks to the help of the Freebirds. After dropping the AWA belts, the roadies split more of their time between the AWA and the NWA, which was very uncommon for people to work both promotions at the same time. But the roadies worked both the AWA and for Jim Crockett promotions, where they really became household names, working once again weekly on the same program they got their start on way back in 1983, World Championship Wrestling on TBS. Eventually, the roadies would become full-time Crockett employees, and save for their tours in all Japan. They'd go on to become the winners of the inaugural Crockett Cup. They'd meet the Midnight Express in the first ever high-profile scaffold match, dubbed Night of the Skywalkers at Starcade 86. They were a major part of the inaugural war games in 87, taking on the Four Horsemen. 
They'd finally capture the NWA World Tag Team titles, defeating the Midnight Express in October of 88 before losing them to Mike Rotunda and Dr. Death the following year. Once again, thanks to shenanigans, this time from Teddy Long. The Road Warriors stayed prominent and as over as ever with the NWA fans all the way through their finishing dates in 1990. Of course, they'd move on to the WWF in the summer of 90 and quickly find themselves in a feud with their brothers in paint, the Demolition by the Fall. Now referred to simply as the Legion of Doom, so as not to be confused with the Ultimate Warrior in the WWF. The following year in 1991, the Legion of Doom competed in their very first WrestleMania, squashing Power and Glory, Hercules and Paul Roma, in under a minute, before moving on to capture the WWF Tag Team titles against the Nasty Boys at SummerSlam 91. This made the Road Warriors slash Legion of Doom the first team to ever hold all three major world tag team titles, that being the AWA, NWA, and now WWF Tag Team Championship. They'd lose those titles the following year to Earthquake and Typhoon, the natural disasters, but they'd soon regain a familiar face. Paul Ellering returned as their manager at WrestleMania 8. Paul hadn't been with the roadies since their departure from the NWA, and it was a big welcome back to see Ellering at the Legion of Doom's side. The team would finish up their two-plus years with the WWF at SummerSlam 92, gaining one last victory over Money, Inc., million-dollar man Ted DiBiase, and IRS before Hawk wound up quitting the company. Animal would finish up some dates on the house shows with Crush, acting as his new partner, but would soon disappear as well. After some nagging injuries and a few years apart, the Road Warriors were reunited and eventually reemerged in WCW at the beginning of 1996, and they were immediately thrust into the tag team main event scene, feuding with teams like the Steiner Brothers, Harlem Heat, and Lex Luger and Sting. They'd finish up their full-time run in the national spotlight as part of the WWF, returning to Vince's company in 1997 and remaining on through the early part of 1999. During that time, they participated in what was arguably the WWE's first attempt at an ECW-style match, as the LOD teamed with Ahmed Johnson to face the Nation of Domination in a Chicago street fight match at WrestleMania 13. Later that year, they'd go on to align themselves as part of the American faction feuding with the Hart Foundation group, before becoming the first major team to give a rub to Billy Gunn and Road Dogg, who were just getting over as the New Age Outlaws. They'd continue on with the WWF through March of 99. The team left the national spotlight, but hadn't quit the business they loved. For the next five years, they continued to work random independent events as well as their annual tours of Japan. They even returned for a special one-night appearance in the WWE in 2003 to challenge then-tag team champions Kane and Rob Van Dam. Unfortunately, Hawk would pass away later that year. Animal himself would again return to the WWF, or excuse me, now the WWE in 2005 and form a new style Road Warriors team with John Heidenreich. Uh, that would only last a short time before Heidenreich was released and Animal was soon let go thereafter. In an homage to Hawk, Animal continued to take dates over the next several years, teaming with Kintsuki Sasaki in Japan as the Hell Warriors. Hawk had previously done a Road Warrior-style team with Sasaki in the early to mid-90s as the Hell Razors. This was the combination of both of Hawk's partners, Animal and Kintsuki Sasaki. Of course, this all led to the Road Warriors induction to the WWE Hall of Fame in 2011, and they pretty much belong in any other wrestling Hall of Fame in existence if those halls want to be looked at as credible anyway. Fast forward to this morning, I then woke up today to the news of the passing of Animal. It seems he passed away last night, September 22nd, to what doctors are calling natural causes. I'm not going to speak anymore on that because there's not enough information out there yet on the situation, and I absolutely respect the family's privacy, and to me it's irrelevant. We're not here to discuss so much the death of Animal, but rather celebrate his life. And Steve, at this time, if you'd like to share any moments that stick out in your head, personal memories from childhood or whenever, of the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom, or Animal in general. Yeah, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of the Road Warriors is uh, 
WrestleMania 8. I know they didn't do much. It was just the promo. But I can still hear Paul Ellery cut his promo. He's like, we've been a runaway train, but nobody was driving. Well, look who's driving the train now. It was just a tremendous promo. The fans popped huge for him. And all they did was just cut an interview. I mean, that, that's the talent they had. People wanted to see him. I mean, that's the biggest credit you can give in this business. And there are very few people that had the impact that they did uh, as far as people wanting to see him. I caught him in WWF. That's when I first seen him early WWF. As you can see here, like my moment is an interview from 92. So I never really seen like the heyday, like in its entirety. I've seen the clashes, you know, the pay-per-views from NWA. I've seen some of their AWA stuff. But I've never really watched it and appreciated it. I always felt like maybe they were a little overrated as a team. They never really learned how to work. But after doing the memory grenade, I clearly see that I was off base. And I think it's just one of those things that's taught me that I need to, you know, you should just watch and speak for yourself and learn for yourself. I really appreciate them even more because when you're doing a podcast and you're watching the show, you just can't listen to it and be able to speak on it. You have to pay attention. You got to look at the details, the small things, things that you may have never seen. You may you may have watched the show like three or four times, but you may have never picked up on it. And that's what doing the podcast has helped me do. And just from doing that, I could see like what they meant to this business and why they're held in such high regard as they are. I don't think there's a better combo for a theme music in a team. When you hear Iron Man, you get goosebumps. Uh, I hear it in the car when I'm driving. When it comes on, I listen to it. And it's mainly because of the Road Warriors. So I, I don't have a lot. And the memories that I do have is when they're putting over the New Age Outlaws as far as watching them and you know live and living through them. I love their match at WrestleMania 13 that you mentioned. So I kind of got the tail end of their career when they were kind of putting people over and not prominent. And to me, like, if that's the only Road Warriors you know, then you don't really know the Road Warriors. I'm telling anybody and everybody, if you have the ability to go back and watch anything from the 80s that are the Road Warriors, please take the time to do it because you're going to be in for a rude awakening and you're going to be in for some, a treat because they're special. Whatever it is that everybody likes to talk about, these guys had it in abundance. And, and I think I said it in one of our podcasts. I don't think there is a better presence in the entire wrestling industry than these two guys coming down the aisle with the shoulder pads with spikes, Iron Man playing, and then just the face paint. Like I'd be scared to death if I was walking down the alley and these guys were coming down dressed like that. I'm just going to finish it off with what Lex Luger said through Twitter. I always try to catch their entrance to take in the Road Warrior pop, electrifying. Their, their pop is named after them. So I think that's all you need to know. Uh, hoping the angels in heaven played a little bit of Iron Man last night for Animal's entrance into eternity. Oh, what a rush. And I, I think that sums it up perfect. From everything I've heard, he was a great guy. And uh, it's a shame. Yesterday morning, he posted on Twitter, happy anniversary to his wife. And then not even 24 hours later, he's gone. I can't imagine what his wife's feeling that should be the happiest day of your life the, the, the day you marry your the man of your dreams and it's the same day that it passes so i couldn't imagine having to live with that the rest of my life so um my heart my, my thoughts and prayers and condolences to the family and i hope he's resting easy just what a what a tremendous life and what a tremendous character uh he had it all both of them did and ellering was perfect with them there's really nothing more you can say it's the real warriors man yeah well said. 
Um, and I agree with you. If you guys haven't seen the Road Warriors during their peak prime, the 80s, the early 90s, arguably in the WWF as well, go to the WWE Network. If you don't have the WWE Network, there's no excuse. We have YouTube and Daily Motion and things like that these days where things are constantly being shared of the Road Warriors. There's four years of World Championship Wrestling television with the Road Warriors on the WWE Network alone. Uh, just check these guys out. They weren't just a team that went out there and killed everybody in under a minute. They, when they had to work, they could work. And uh, when they had to sell, whether they liked it or not, sometimes they were forced to sell, but they sold. And there's a lot of narrative out there that if you just go back and watch instead of listening to what other people tell you, you'll see there's a different side of that. And now I'm going to speak on a couple of my early memories of the Road Warriors. And I'm going to completely put aside my historical knowledge and my professional broadcasting here just for a brief minute. And I'm going to channel my inner kid, my nostalgia, my memories from my childhood. For the next couple of minutes, I'm going to be nothing more than a kid again and just share some of my memories as a wide-eyed kid soaking it all in. And my first memories of the Road Warriors came... Uh, it would have had to have been 1987 or later. I can't pinpoint an exact time. That's when we got cable. That's when cable became widely available in my area. And I got to see the Road Warriors from time to time. And they just blew me away with the black pads and the spikes and the paint and everything. And I was in amazement. I started getting the after mags in the late 80s. And I collected those. And I loved the pictures in the mags. I loved reading about them. And I remember one time taking them to school. And it had to have been, I'm going to guess, 1990 based on who else was in the magazine. Some kind of article about Doom, the Steiner Brothers, and the Road Warriors. Who was the best team in the NWA? And I took that to school, and I opened up the magazine, and everybody was a wrestling fan then. And 20 kids gathered around, and we're all picking different which team was best. And I just remember the Road Warriors sticking out to me at that point. It seemed like not too long at all after that day, they popped up in the WWF. And now they were the Legion of Doom. And that took a little bit of getting used to for me, but it was what it was. They had red red pads now, and I don't remember if I thought that was cool or not. It was definitely different, though. But they came in, and they were the Road Warriors. They were Legion of Doom, so they were already over with me immediately. Uh, then they helped the Hart Foundation win the titles from Demolition, which just made me all the more a bigger fan that these guys are standing in the ring next to the Hart Foundation, the Demolition, and they're just a, a sight to behold in, at SummerSlam 90. And then we go into the fall with the Demolition and the Legion of Doom feud, and maybe the matches weren't all that great, but on paper, looking at that match, and a dream match of mine was coming to fruition. And maybe, you know, Axe was being phased out and Crush was involved. And the Demolition had been one of my, if not my favorite, babyface tag team during 1989. And honestly, even into 1990 until Crush joined and everything like that. But it was fun watching that feud unfold. And uh, there's a wrestling fan out there by the name of Richard Land who posted on Twitter earlier something I haven't seen in 30 years. I, I think I recorded I believe it's on tape somewhere in my storage. But I hadn't seen it in 30 years, but I remember it like it was last week. So when I saw the clip... I haven't watched it yet. I want to let all this soak in. I want to enjoy the clip. I'm going to watch it tomorrow. But when I saw the, the initial picture on the video of the Road Warriors or Legion of Doom visiting the Spotlight Studios with Sean Mooney, and I looked down and there's a table in front of them with all these fruits and things, I knew what it was. And I haven't pressed play on it yet, but I know what it is. I remember it. And being a kid 30 years ago and remembering something you haven't seen in 30 years, it says a lot. And that was my first look at the comical side of the Legion of Doom. They were making um, health drinks, smoothies, something along those lines. I, I don't really, really remember what all it was, but they take a bunch of stuff and they dump it in a blender and they're both having fun. Animals leading the charge on this. And there's a couple eggs out there. And I remember Hawk asking if he could eat one of the eggs and animal told him, no, we need it for the blender. And while animal speaking with Mooney, uh, it's probably Ian Mooney. Sorry, guys. But as animal speaking with Mooney, Hawk takes the second egg and pops it in his mouth. 
And Animal looks down and says, where did the egg go? Did you eat that egg? And Hawk left the egg in his mouth and you could see his mouth wide open. His lips are closed, but his mouth wide open. He goes, mm-mm. It, my cousin was staying the night and we lost it. I mean, we lost it. To see these two badass characters just doing a comedy routine. And it was just hilarious. And it was so Hawk to do something like that. And they, they had a lot of fun. And I remember that. And it's so funny to think back and remember that. And to see that, that video is online now for me to enjoy instead of having to go dig it out myself. Because I've thought about that, that segment so many times over the years. So that's, that's a funny moment that I, I had with the Legion of Doom. And then fast forward to 1991 and them winning the WWF Tag Team titles. I thought it was long overdue. Even as a kid, I wondered why it took so long to put the belts on somebody who clearly deserved it. Of course, you know, you got to have heel champions before you can give it to another face team, or at least that's the way things worked back then. And so instead of going from the hearts to the Legion of Doom, we had the nasty boys in between. I know they wanted to save it for a pay-per-view, so I get it. They won the belts, and, and this is my last story here, is um, going to see the Legion of Doom live for the first time ever. I grew up with my grandparents, and they took care of me. I had a great childhood. One thing they didn't do was go places. They, uh, they were a little older, and that wasn't their thing. But I had some great aunt and uncles and they took me to the circus and they took me to the zoo and they took me to the Mickey Mouse capades and they took me to amusement parks. The one place I didn't really go with them, though, was was wrestling events. They didn't really go. I did have a few aunts and uncles that were casual fans. They just that's just simply something they didn't do. However, I did have this uncle. I guess he's more like a first cousin once removed by law. But I look at him like an uncle. He had a much younger brother, and uh, he was just a good guy, and he liked to do things for people. And so he found out I was a wrestling fan, and his younger brother was a wrestling fan, so he started taking us to the matches. Not every time, but some of the times they came to town, he would take us. I was very appreciative. Uh, unfortunately, every time I went, it seemed to be either a show Legion of Doom weren't on, or they just weren't coming to my town. Not really sure how that worked out, but I finally got to see them. And it was against the Nasty Boys. And I think I think it just shortly after SummerSlam, they had won the belts and they were wrestling the Nasty Boys in a rematch. And my uncle, let me preface this, he was not a wrestling fan. He wasn't somebody that hated it. He just didn't even care. I think he thought it was funny. He did this out of the kindness of his heart because we enjoyed it so much. And he was also a truck driver. So if you guys know any truck drivers, they can basically sleep on command because they never get any sleep. So he would just, you would just be looking over and he'd look back at him and he'd just doze off if, if you were having a conversation. Well, he would take us to these shows and he would spend more than 50% of the show sleeping. And I'd always wonder, how the hell can you sleep with all these fans making noise? And I wondered that all the way until I took my wife to a Raw and Randy Orton came out and she fell asleep for about an hour. So I guess it is possible. <laughs> but my uncle would sleep through these shows. However, he was awake during the LOD match. I remember that vividly because his only takeaway from the show that had The Undertaker on it, I think Sid Justice was on it, The Big Boss Man, some of the bigger names were on the show. His only takeaway was we get in the car, the truck to ride home. And he goes, man, them fans were, they were doing that chant, that L-O-D, L-O-D. And that's what got him. Like he was just like uh, in awe that all these fans were like, it was the loudest chant of the night. And uh, I think it was when they were getting heat on one of the guys. And he was so amazed by that. And he would take us every now and then over the next two or three years. And every once in a while he'd go, are those guys on the show? Those guys, the L-O-D. I didn't feel like explaining to him about how wrestlers come and go and they jump to other promotions and things like that. So I just, you know, uh, pacify it with, uh, no, they're not on this card, you know, and when they might have already been gone for a year or two. But that always stuck with him. That was like the most entertaining thing to him to see how much of that Road Warrior pop and how over they were. And so that was like his, he wasn't a wrestling fan at all. He didn't pay attention to anyone. He probably didn't know anybody beyond Hulk Hogan by name value alone. 
but he remembered the LOD for that reason. And so that stuck with me more as a memory of watching them get over with somebody who's not a wrestling fan at all versus my own memories. So, but yeah, those are just a few things, the takeaways I have from my childhood on the LOD. Yeah, just great stuff, man. I think it's the Saturday Night Main event where it's the Hearts versus the Rockers. Demolition come out and then LOD come out to confront them. And in the ring, you have the Hearts and the LOD. And then on the outside, you have the Rockers and Demolition. And I'm just like, look at all that talent in one spot. It's just tremendous. The, yeah. it was, it's kind of disgusting how rich WWF was at certain points during the years, but they just stick out, man. Like everything about them, they just stick out. Their size, their look, everything. And they are memorable. I mean, I actually, uh, I had my Real Warriors shirt on today and I went out to Walmart and I was walking out and some guys like, man, I love your shirt. I don't know if you knew the news or what was going on, but certain guys, like I don't get comments on my shirts. I have a lot of wrestling shirts and I don't get comments on most of them, but the two that I have gotten comments on is the Iron Sheik and now LOD. Try and figure that one out. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, they're memorable. I mean, and they, it's sad and, I truly believe what everybody says, and I, I believe that they are the greatest tag team of all time. Far not. Like, I, did they start the tag teams on top, like carrying a card? They had to be like one of the first teams to do that. Right. Yeah, that's so. another thing that was really big about the Road Warriors was sometimes they were so big uh, as a tag team that there was no other tag team that could even match them. And so the companies were forced to create tag teams out of their top single stars in order to make the matches even look competitive. Look at how many times Ric Flair had to team up with another horseman to take on the Road Warriors or Dusty and Sting. Teams like that, you had to take your top baby faces and pair them up to take on the Road Warriors in order to give them credible competition at times. So, yeah, it's, it says a lot. They were certainly the biggest tag team of the entire 1980s. You, you can't argue that. I don't care if you like the work ethic of the British Bulldogs or the Hart Foundation or the Rockers or the Midnight Express. And I love the Midnight Express. But, they, but I, I won't deny that the Road Warriors are were the absolute most over. And like Lex Luger said, and I was thinking this earlier too, there's a reason it's called the Road Warrior Pop. I think that's a good good way to close the show, Steve. Uh, I want to really, want, once again, thank you for joining me to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's never fun, but it's always fun to reminisce and, and talk about the legends. It was my pleasure to be here, man. And uh, I think in closing, I mentioned something on Twitter. I don't remember exactly how I worded it, but it went something like this. Professional wrestling has given me a lifetime of memories, and the Road Warriors were a major part of those memories. So I just want to, in closing, thank Hawk and Animal for everything they did for this business, for everything they did for me as a fan and as a kid. Just thank you guys. And one final, what a rush for you guys. Thank you. Uh...